Well, hey, church, my name is Andrew. I am one of the pastors here, and big welcome to you if you're visiting or new. I'd love to meet you after the service. You've joined us today on our last Sunday in a series we've been doing. We're coming to the end of the series. We've been doing a series on what God is like, who God is. And we've been looking at Exodus 34, where God reveals what He's like. And we've seen some incredible things about what God is like. I've got the verse up on the screen. This is what we've seen so far, that God is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. I mean, they're just incredible things, aren't they, that we've seen about our God this term. And then we get to the very next verse. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. What? God, what are you doing? I mean, it was really good, verse 6. All of that, so encouraging and comforting, great memory verse. Print it out, put it on the wall, your compassion, your mercy, your grace, your kindness. Why couldn't you have just left it there, God? Why did you have to add on verse 7 about punishing guilty people? And what is with this weird stuff about punishing kids? I mean, what on earth? Talk about ending the series on a downer. I mean, can't we just leave out verse 7? Keep all of verse 6, leave out the stuff that challenges us or makes us feel a bit uncomfortable. The problem is, if we did that, if we threw out all the stuff that made us uncomfortable and just kept the stuff we liked about God, well, then you've got a God that just agrees with you on everything. And what's the point of that? Because then you've got a God that's just like you. It's also worth pointing out that we've got some cultural blinders on when we come to a topic like this. Uh, the idea of God punishing people, yeah, it does make us uncomfortable in Sydney 2023. But there are some cultures around the world that don't find this challenging at all. They find it uncomfortable that God forgives. So we've got to remember we've got some cultural blinders on What we're talking about and what God is describing here is a really important part of His character. It is that He is just. He is just. He punishes wrong. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. And this idea of God being just and a judge is actually a really good thing. It's a really good thing. Here's why. It means, firstly, that God will put all wrongs to right. He'll put all wrongs to right. I don't know if you saw in the news this week, Lucy Letby. You see this in the UK, uh, who has been found guilty of murdering six newborn babies, attacking another seven. Reports say that actually she may have hurt or killed up to 30 more. Investigations are ongoing She's now the, most, uh, the worst child serial killer in modern British history. Now, if the police were to just say to her, you know what, let's just pretend this never happened. Walk free. It's 
just water under the bridge. It's all good. I mean, you'd be furious, wouldn't you? You'd be furious. The families of the kids that were murdered would be furious. Because innately, in every single one of us, we want justice. We want wrongs to be put to right. And if we had a God that looked at the things that go wrong, the evil and the injustices, and he just said, ah, whatever, I'll let it slip. Well, that's not the kind of God we want at all. And perhaps you're here this morning and you've experienced injustice. You've experienced abuse or harm or pain. And maybe you've wondered, God, do you care? God, are you doing something about my situation? He does care. He sees. He knows. He will do something about it. The second reason why this idea of God being just is so good is it helps us forgive. We know that we are to forgive and forgiveness is good for us. But when you've seen family members be murdered or raped, your homes be destroyed, it is so hard to not get revenge. The only way you can do that is knowing that there is a judge who will one day right all wrongs. And that judge is a better judge than you will ever be because that judge sees all things perfectly and will bring ultimate justice. The third reason why this idea of God's justice is so good is because it gives us hope. Friends, there's going to be a day when all rape and murder and abuse, when all racism and all crime and all war will be done away with. Because the God of justice will destroy sin once and for all, and we will be in his perfect world. Isn't that good? All these things are true because our God is a just God. He will not let the guilty go unpunished. And that's something we should be thankful for. The problem is, we, we love the idea that God is just, that he'll right all wrongs when it comes to the murderers and the rapists and the war crimes and those people out there. What we don't like is the idea that he will judge us. We don't like admitting that we're guilty of anything. Yesterday, I tried to get my toddler to say sorry for something he'd done wrong. He refused. Now, I didn't teach him that. There's something innate in him that he's just, he doesn't want to say sorry. There's a story of a ruler in Naples who was visiting Spain. And he, came across, he was in the harbor, and he noticed a big ship there. And in the ship were a whole bunch of convicts. And the convicts, their punishment was that they were required to pull the oars of the ship. This ruler walks onto the ship and he decides to meet the men there that are convicts and ask them what they're guilty of, how they ended up here. He goes up to the first man and asks him what he did wrong and the man begrudgingly said that a corrupt judge was bribed to convict him. That's why he was there. He went to the next man and the man said, oh, I'm only here because my enemies framed me. He goes up to the next man and says, oh, I'm only here because I was falsely accused 
by a case of mistaken identity. And man after man, he goes to, they all blame it on someone else. They're all actually innocent and deserve to be set free. And then he goes up to the final man. Why are you here? And the man said, I am here because I deserve to be. I am a thief and a criminal. I committed a crime and I deserve my just punishment. Well, upon hearing this, the ruler shouted to the captain, how have you allowed this one wicked criminal to be in the presence of all of these innocent men? Release him immediately, lest he corrupt the others. You see, that story, it shows that we are just so prone to not admit our guilt, not admit our errors. And yet... The Bible makes very clear that every one of us has sinned against God. We are guilty. Not just the people out there, the extreme examples. It's not like we can look down our noses and judge others. We're all guilty. You saw it in our second reading, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Who's God going to punish? Those who do not obey the gospel. Those who have rejected God, disobeyed Him, offended Him. Now, that is the highest offense possible. It's one thing to offend your friend. It's another thing to offend the King of England. It's a whole other thing to offend the creator of the universe. And so in Exodus 34, our theme verse for the term, when it says, he will not let the guilty unpunished, we've got to realize that's us. That's us. And what's the punishment? It's the next verse, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut off from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Everlasting destruction. What this verse is talking about here is hell. It's hell. Now, because of Hollywood, we've got these comical ideas of hell in our brain. You know, a, a devil with, with horns and a pitchfork. Actually, it's a lot scarier. How's hell described there? Shut off from the presence of the Lord. Now, here's why that's scary. God is the source of all good, all love, all family, all food, all wealth, all beauty, all laughter, all music. God is the source of it all. And so to be shut off from the presence of God is to be shut off from all the good things He brings. That's terrifying. You think about the sun. The sun gives all of us life. If the sun were to go out, we would freeze to death. Now, you might go outside and feel the sun on your skin. Or you could be deep in a cave, and you may not actually notice the sun at all. But even there, if the sun were to go out, you'd freeze to death. And so it is with God. God brings us all life. And some of us notice Him. 
Some of us thank Him and worship Him and acknowledge Him. Others of us may not acknowledge Him at all. But it's still the same reality. He is the bringer of all good things and all life. And hell is to be shut off from His presence. Now, this sounds so unfair. But if you think about it, this is exactly what we ask for. See, if someone says to God, God, stay out of my life. I don't want anything to do with you, God. And they keep saying that their whole life. God, stay out of my life. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to acknowledge you. I don't want a relationship with you. Stay away. Then eventually God will say, okay. If that is what you want, okay. It's been said that there's only two types of people in the end. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says on the final day, your will be done. Now, it's not a comfortable topic. I think the only way to talk about hell is with tears. Because no one wants anyone to end up here. And God doesn't want anyone to end up here. But we must not shy away from it. We have a just God who will not let the guilty go unpunished. That includes us. That includes us. And this isn't just an Old Testament thing. Jesus talks about health 13% of everything he says. This is a reality. Our God is just. But I wonder if you've noticed something. Exodus 34, back to our theme verse. It talks about how God forgives. And then it says, he will not let the guilty go unpunished. Do you notice that? How on earth can both of those things be true? How can God be a God who forgives and yet does not let the guilty go unpunished? How can God be a God of mercy and yet also a God of judgment? Aren't they opposites? How can God be someone who is loving and yet also condemns people to hell? How on earth do those two things work? Someone came up to me after 8 a.m. church this morning and, and, and heard only the f- first five minutes of my sermon. And obviously he didn't listen. He said to me, I don't agree with anything you said because it's illogical. God can't be a loving God and also a God who punishes. It's illogical. It doesn't work. And in many ways, he's right. There is a massive tension here. How do we resolve it? That's actually the big question across the whole Bible. How can you and I, sinful people, be friends with God who punishes wrong and is just? How does that work? And the only way we see the answer is in our Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, we see God's justice. He did not leave the guilty go unpunished. He punished sin and evil once and for all. Because Jesus Christ bore all the judgment of God on his shoulders. 
He paid the price. The price is paid. God has done something about the wrong and the sin in the world. He's just. But you and I didn't have to pay that punishment. Jesus paid it in our place. And that's where we see God's forgiveness. It's that the judge became the judged. It's that the one person who never sinned became sin for us. At the cross, we see judgment and forgiveness perfectly reconciled as judgment is poured out on Jesus so that anyone can be forgiven and walk free. Hallelujah. This is the heart of what Christians believe. And if you take away God's justice and judgment, everything unravels. Because you won't understand how much God really loves you. Because you won't understand how much God had to give up for you, to save you, to rescue you from judgment. It's only when you take God's justice that He punishes sin and take His love and forgiveness and you, you put them together, you look at the cross where Jesus bore our judgment and you see how much it cost. There's a story of the judge who is judging their son. Their son is, is in the docks and he, he, he's, he's guilty. And the father issues the, the punishment that needs to be paid. It's a fine. But after making that call, he gets down and he signs the check himself. He signs the fine himself and he pays for it. That one father who brings justice but also forgives at the same time. That's what we see Jesus do. John Stott, he put it so well. It's on the screen. At the cross in holy love, God through Christ paid the full penalty of our disobedience himself. He took the judgment we deserve in order to bring us the forgiveness we do not deserve. On the cross, divine mercy and divine justice were equally expressed and eternally reconciled. God's holy love was satisfied. Friends, today the only way to avoid God's judgment is by trusting Jesus. If you're in a bushfire, the safest place to go is where the fire has already burnt. That's why we backburn. And the safest place to avoid the fire of God's right judgment is where the fire has already burned. Jesus Christ, who paid the judgment. Run to Him, trust in Him, receive His forgiveness, and you will be safe from judgment. See, we have a choice. We either bear the judgment ourselves or we let Jesus pay it for us. That is our choice. If you haven't yet trusted Jesus, can I plead with you to, to, to do it? Before it is too late, because God is a God of grace and He wants to forgive you. In Switzerland, there's a different way of doing toll roads than what we have here. What we have here is you know, we pay for every toll road that we take, and it costs a, a lot of money. 
But in Switzerland, you pay for like, you know, a year. You've got like a, a little membership. You pay for the whole year and you get a little thing on your windscreen. And then you're able to just take all the toll roads. That membership runs from 1st of January to the end of December. 1st of January each year, you're to renew for the coming year. But what they have is throughout the month of January, they have a month of grace. A month of grace. So in the month of January, if you haven't managed to have time to renew your toll membership for the year, it's okay. You're off the hook that whole month. But come February 1st, the police are out. Come February 1st, there are no more excuses. The grace period has ended. Friends, our God is a God of grace. His arms are open. He gave up his son to save you. And if you come to him, you who experience his love and forgiveness, but there will be a day when the grace period ends when we all stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. Trust him before it is too late. Well, we've seen that God is a just judge, but we still haven't dealt with the weird stuff about him punishing kids. What is with that? I'll read it again. Verse 7 says, Exodus 34, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. What on earth? Well, just a few quick comments. I don't think it's literally saying that children are going to be punished for sins that they haven't committed. I think there's a better translation out there which says, he will not let the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the parents' sins to the children and grandchildren. I think it's talking about the consequences of the sins of the parents. I think there's a few layers to this. Anytime we sin, our sin has consequences. We don't sin in a vacuum. So if a husband cheats on his wife, that sin is going to have impact for the kids. If a dad is lazy and selfish, that's going to have consequences for the family. But not just that. One scary thing we all know is we all end up like our parents. It's kind of terrifying, but it all happens. And I think what's happening here in the Old Testament is God knows that when a parent turns away from God, abandons God, walks in rebellion, it becomes all too easy for the children to follow their parents' footsteps. It becomes all too easy. If the parents worship idols, it becomes so much more easy for the children, the Israelite children, to worship those same idols. Do you see? So God is not saying that these innocent kids are going to get punished for things that they have not done. He is talking about the consequences of sin and how it flows through generations. But I want to say this. God's grace is bigger than any sin that runs through a family. I've spoken to some of you in this room who have experienced the impact of the failings of your parents. No parents are perfect, but some of you have 
particularly experienced the impact of your parents, whether it is abuse, constant judgment, cheating, laziness, criticism, whatever it might be. But you do not have to be a slave to the sins of your parents. You see, it says that the impact of sin goes to the third and fourth generation. Okay. But the very previous verse, it says that God's love goes to thousands of generations. Third and fourth? Thousands. Whatever you have experienced, whatever you have inherited, if you are a follower of Jesus, you can say, because of the gospel, this stops here. This stops here. By God's Holy Spirit transforming me and strengthening me, I am walking in the ways of the Lord, and whatever I've experienced, this stops here. Because the grace and mercy of God triumphs over judgment. Well, as we finish, we started this series, if you remember, with Moses asking a question. God, show me your glory. That's what he asked. And what did God do? He told him who he was. Compassionate, gracious, merciful, faithful. And you know what the right response to this series is? It's the next verse. This is what Moses does. Verse 8. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshipped. When you look at all these characteristics of God that we've looked at this term, the right response is worship. Even God's justice, the right response, worship. Offering our lives in joyful worship and obedience for who He is, because He is worthy. Let's pray together. God, we, be- we come before you and we want to worship you for your compassion, your grace, your patience, your love. We worship you for your faithfulness, for your forgiveness, and we also worship you for your justice. Thank you that you are a just God who does not let the guilty go unpunished. Thank you that we have the hope of a world that is perfectly just. And we thank you so much that in Jesus you dealt with our sin once and for all. You satisfied your justice and you showed us amazing forgiveness and love. We give you great thanks that Jesus was judged in our place so that we could walk free. God, you are worthy of all praise, all thanksgiving, all honour, because of these amazing things about you. We give you great praise and thanks. Amen.